Acts chapter 20. I want to turn our attention tonight to the final 21 verses in Acts 20. We've already looked at the first 16, and I want to begin tonight to get into the final 21 verses. You remember that the Apostle Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. Of course, he's been systematically making his way back through Asia Minor, which we understand today is modern-day Turkey. He's been stopping at the churches that he had at least part in starting, if not the one who planted it, and it is his desire to both encourage them and to exhort them. But most of all, it's his desire to go and gather this needed gift for the suffering church in Jerusalem. The church there was being persecuted uh, regularly, and so Paul is on this mission to gather the needed uh, funds that they need in order to be able to sustain life. And for several weeks now, we have been gaining instruction for ourselves from the life of the Apostle Paul and what it means, and even more accurately, what it looks like to love the church. This is what Christians are to do. We are to love the church. And if you've been with us the whole study, you remember the Apostle Paul expressed his love for the church through three characteristic actions that we looked at. One was guarding the truth. He was passing on the truth to other in the church. He was giving it to others in his teaching and in his preaching, and therefore by doing so, he was guarding the truth. He was multiplying those who knew the truth, and therefore he was guarding the truth. Secondly, he was graciously giving. Not only asking others to give, but he was graciously giving of himself, and he's exhorting them in light of that, and in light of his own life, and in light of them being Christians, that they too are to give in that way. They aren't just merely to think of giving as a monetary reality, but they are to think of giving more comprehensively in that their whole life is to be a reality of giving to God. And then third was sacrificial perseverance. And we just simply said that Paul never gave up. Paul never gave up. He continued in it until the very end. And last time we were together, we got a glimpse into then the first century church service. And came away, at least from our study in that understanding, that the primary importance and preeminent importance in the church is the teaching of the Word of God, sitting under the teaching of God's Word. You remember the, the shocking incident that took place as they were meeting together in this large room, and many people were there, and it was quite warm up there, apparently, and this young man named Eutychus was sitting in the window and fell asleep, fell out of the window three floors down, and was picked up dead. Verse 9 tells us, and Paul goes down, of course, falls on the man, and uh, says, don't be troubled, his life is in him, and gave him back to them, and went back upstairs, and they continued their communion time together, and Paul continued in preaching of the Word. Well, today, I want to begin these final verses, verse 17 through verse 38. We saw already Paul in public 
right? Back in Troas in verses 7 through 12, he Paul's public ministry, he was leading that church worship. And now in these verses, beginning in verse 17, this is Paul in private, meeting with the leaders of the church, meeting with the leaders of the church, specifically the elders at the church in Ephesus. And he's meeting with them in Miletus, in Miletus. Verse 17 tells us that from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Miletus was a small town about 30, 20 or 30 minutes south of the capital, which was known as Ephesus. It was a very metropolitan city, Ephesus was. And I suppose we could even title this section Paul's Farewell Address to the Ephesian Elders. But I want to I want to frame up our thinking in this way. I want to I want to frame it up to have this in our mind through these sections. I want to break it up in three different sections. One, Paul's ministry testimony that we'll see him share in verses 18 through 24. And then, of course, also within that in verses 33 to 35. So both of those sections are covered in his ministry testimony. And then secondly, Paul's exhortation to the elders in verses 25 to 32. And then lastly, his his prayer, Paul's prayer for these brothers, verses 36 through 38. So let's begin then by just diving into this first section, Paul's testimony, his ministry testimony. Let me begin as just to read these first two sections, verses 17 to 24 and then verses 33 through 35. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I might finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Jump over to verse 33. Paul says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's just take a minute and bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the clear testimony of your redemptive purposes throughout the history of time. We even see here in this text the faithful witness and testimony of a servant of yours, the Apostle Paul. We are even uh, 
products, if you will, of the faithfulness with which you allowed him to carry on in the ministry so that we might too hear the gospel. So tonight, as we look at this, may we learn learn from him and learn how we are to be in our own lives and our love for the church. May you be honored through it, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know about you, but it's continually fascinating to me to read the testimony of another Christian life. Particularly when that person is the one we have here, the Apostle Paul. And specifically here because he lists for us what were at least considered by him uh, to be the important parts of his ministry. In other words, the ones that were in his mind, blessed by God and for which he was eternally thankful to God for. There were all kinds of things that Paul could have said about his ministry, and yet here he mentions what he mentions because that is what's on his mind and what is in his heart. And there are four aspects here from his testimony that I think we we need to just draw out of this text, not just because they're interesting, but more importantly, because they are characteristics that I believe ought to be present in the life of each and every Christian, particularly those who are leaders, those who are teachers of the Word of God. The first aspect that Paul mentions concerning his ministry was his humble approach to Christian service. His humble approach to Christian service. Verse 18 and 19, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. It's interesting that Paul would mention humility particularly in light of the fact that when he writes First Timothy or to Timothy in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and he talks about the qualifications of those who are leaders in the church, you realize specifically Paul never mentions the term humility in any of those lists. And yet here, in his thanking of God and his exhortation to these men, he talks about his humility. He speaks certainly in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 about the qualities that we might relate to humility, but he never mentions humility in its fullest sense. And on top of that, this is the only place that we find in Scripture where the Apostle Paul says that he himself was humble. Humility, obviously, is important. It's the opposite of pride. We understand that. It's hard for anyone to speak about humility in their own life because the moment you start to speak about your humility, it appears at least at the outset that you're not really all that humble. And particularly if you're someone in some kind of prominent position, it's hard to speak about humility because pride is always lurking at the door. And all of us, need to be careful and watchful for pride springing up in the garden of our lives. But it's even more dangerous for those 
who lead others and those who teach others, especially if they have any kind of giftedness when it comes to speaking. Uh, we have an evangelical world where our landscape is filled with men who are very skilled at speaking, and it's oftentimes a wonder that pride doesn't creep in more than, than it could Someone is always coming up at the end when someone speaks and flocking to the speaker to tell them how blessed it was that they were speaking that very night or that day or whatever it was. And if that person is not careful and watchful about pride in their own heart, they might begin to really believe that they are as wonderful as they were just said. Remember some years ago I had the opportunity to speak at the seminary uh, uh, discipleship lab at the the seminary in Florida, and uh, the young guys were getting ready to, to to graduate. And I I told them I said you need to be careful because you've you've been here in seminary and you've learned how to go through some skills. You you've learned your study skills and you've had to preach to to your classmates and you've learned some things. And some of you are pretty good at it. Some of you really have skills in that you're gifted in that and you're going to go to your first place of ministry and and uh, the people are going to come up to you after you preach and you say oh pastor that was so wonderful that was great thank you so much and the danger is this you're going to start believing it you're going to start to believe you're really good And each of us must grow in humility if we're going to combat pride, because pride is right there always knocking at the door. I spoke this morning for just a moment about George Whitfield. George Whitfield, of course, spoke in the 18th century, an evangelist, a very powerful speaker, and he taught himself early a technique for handling that kind of thing. Right? He was the most popular preacher of his day. More popular than all the contemporaries that were around in the church and any other speaker, even politicians. George Whitfield was even more popular than many of the politicians who were out there. He was very gifted, very talented speaker, a brilliant man. A lot of oratory skills, used language very well. He had a control of the audience that was really shocking to many people because he could, he could really affect people's emotions with the words he used. And on top of that, unlike today, there was no, there was no electronic uh, uh, voice illuminator. So there was no speakers. And so he could just project his voice in ways that, are, that was uh, very useful in those days. And George Fit- Whitfield... When he came to town, everybody would come to hear him speak, right? The farmers would stop working in the field. The blacksmiths would close their shops. Everybody would run out to see George Whitfield speak. Sometimes, as I said, 20,000, 25,000 people would gather just to hear him speak. So you can imagine the kind of popularity he had and the kind of pride that was always lurking in his heart at the end of one of his sermons. The crowds would gather around him at the end and, and say things like this, Oh, Mr. Whitfield, you are so wonderful. Your message was so impacting upon me. Someone asked him one time, How do you deal with that in your own heart? How do you deal with 
pride not raising up with those kind of words. You're a great speaker. He oftentimes would say to them, I know, the devil tells me that all the time. The devil tells me that all the time. What's the point of that? The point is that puffing ourselves up comes straight from the father of lies. When we think we're good, we're really not good. I believe Paul understood that reality, and I think that's why Paul is saying this here. That I I serve the Lord with all humility. Paul had already called himself the chief of sinners. Right? He knew that he was no better than, than anybody else who was out there before God, that anyone else had, who had been saved, he was on the, the same boat as they were on. He had been saved by grace. He had been saved because of God's compassion upon him. And if his gifts were to be used in ministry at all, they were gifts that were given to him by God. If anyone was to receive praise because of something he did, it was to be God who would be the one that needs to receive the praise. And so Paul begins to speak like that to these leaders in Ephesus. Why? Because these leaders needed to hear this. The reality is we all need to hear this. We all need to think about that. Somebody might say, well, I don't speak in front of people, or I don't, I don't do uh, what you do, or I'm not a Sunday school teacher, or I'm not someone who's gifted like that. Well, that may be so, but the reality is that pride is always lurking there to puff you up. It's always there. Pride is the silent killer of Christian service. Pride is what is used by Satan himself to rip churches apart. Pride rips families apart. Pride destroys relationships. Oh, how the church would be if we would just learn to be humble people. Just those who would die to self. I believe that is why Paul says in verse 19 that not only did he serve with all humility, but he did it with tears and with trials. Serve the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. I don't think for a moment Paul was some kind of weepy man, you know, some kind of guy who just cried at the drop of a hat. Some are like that. Some will cry over anything. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe God has wired us like that. But some of us are are just wired emotionally. We we cry easily. But I don't think Paul was like that. And I don't think that's what he's saying here. I believe this is one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul says that he served with all humility, because Paul had learned empathy. Paul had learned empathy. He served with humility, and he could say that because he served with tears and with trials. He was an empathetic man. Why do I say that? Because empathy is born out of humility. I don't know if we think of it like that very often. Sometimes we think of being compassionate, and yet empathy is goes a little farther than that. The Bible tells us that we are to weep with those who weep. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. 
That means that we have to be involved in each other's lives. We have to actually be with others and get to know their struggles and their joys if we are to weep with them and if we are to rejoice with them. We'll never do that if we're not humble people. Why? Because pride only thinks of itself. Pride doesn't think of others. Paul wasn't just simply sad about these people. Paul was empathetic with them. If somebody was happy, Paul was happy. Somebody was sad, Paul was sad. If somebody was going through some difficulty, Paul was going through that difficulty. Paul could identify with them, and to some extent, he could live what they were going through. He was empathetic. Empathetic. Why? Because... He had gone through tough things himself, right? I served with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Paul knew what others' struggles were like, not because he experienced their struggles, but because Paul knew what it was like to struggle. Paul was empathetic. The late Francis Schaeffer once said, if we separate, it must be with tears. What he means is if we, if we separate in the, in the Christian world, if we separate with other Christians for whatever reason, it has to be with tears. If we speak truth that hurts, it must be with tears. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Why was Paul so effective in the ministry that he had in the world that was the Greco-Roman world of his day. A very, very difficult world to be living in. Why was Paul so effective? Was it his preaching that was effective? Was it because his giftedness as a preacher? Is that why Paul was so effective to planting churches all over the place? I'm sure that had an effect, right? Paul certainly was a gifted man. He had... He had uh, uh, a way in which God was using to, to make things happen through the words of Paul. We see that even later. But I think his effectiveness had more to do with empathy than it did with powerful preaching. His preaching was powerful because he was empathetic. And he was empathetic because he was a humble man. He wasn't someone who just spoke the word, he lived it. He remembered from where he had come and the world around him recognized that he was different because of it. So they wanted to know, who is this Paul guy? And so the first thing Paul mentions in his personal ministry testimony here is his humility in serving. Paul says, much about it. But secondly, he mentions his diligence to preach. His diligence to preach. Notice what he says. I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, verse 20, and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. 
But I do not consider my life of any account of dear to myself in order that I might finish my course. The ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. What was that? To testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. To testify solemnly of the grace of God. And Notice verse 25. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no, no more. So this is what Paul did. He taught publicly, verse 20 says. He went around not shrinking from telling them anything profitable and teaching them publicly. That's the first thing. And it really shouldn't surprise us when we think of the Apostle Paul. That's what he had been doing throughout his ministry, throughout the book of Acts. As you read his entire life story, Paul went about preaching. He taught all kinds of people. Every time he went into a town, he was preaching. Back back in Acts chapter 19, Paul is even teaching the disciples of John the Baptist. Those who had followed John, those who had believed what John was saying, he is teaching, teaching them about Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 19 and verse 8, he is teaching the Jews. There was, of course, a large majority of Gentiles who lived in Ephesus, and they're being taught by Paul. These are the ones who were caught in the occult, caught in the the worship of Diana and all the cult prostitution that's going on. Even the businessmen of the day, the idol makers that were in Ephesus were being publicly taught by the Apostle Paul. So he taught publicly. And verse 20 says he also taught privately, you notice, and from house to house. As a pastor, I think of this often. If we put it in terms of today, it would be Paul did house to house teaching, house to house. We might even use the term visitation. The great pastor of the 1600s, Richard Baxter, wrote a book uh, entitled The Reformed Pastor. It's a great little book for anyone to read, but it's really directed at those who carry out Christian ministry. And it's essentially an exposition of verse 28 of Acts 20. Verse 28 simply says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This entire book is just his exposition of that one verse, talking about how leaders are to carry out their duty of shepherding God's people. And he says that ministers ought to be going to the people who are part of the church and talking with them about the Scriptures. It'll be about the business of talking with the people about the Scriptures. Well, in those days, in the 1600s, it was usually an itinerant kind of ministry, so that the pastor didn't only preach at one church, he preached in multiple churches on any given Sunday as he would go from town to town and preaching. In our modern day, with the size of the churches that we have today, it would be very difficult to accomplish that kind of task. At least logistically, it's very tough. Scheduling of that kind is near impossible due to the busyness of people's lives. We've talked about it often here, even in leadership. But what it says about Paul is that even though he was busy in ministry, even though he had much to do and could have easily said, listen, I don't have the time to connect with the people, Paul cared 
and loved God's people so much that it was never beneath him to go and be with the people in their own lives context. And so he went, it says, from house to house. That ought to be our Christian lives. We have to be with the people of God on times when when we can we we can uh, sacrifice our life, sacrifice our time, get our schedules so out of the way that we are with one another. We ought to be people, people. And I think here in this church, we do a fairly decent job with that. True discipleship. True discipleship and lasting discipleship and growth is forged in those one-on-one relationships. The mature Christian understands that. So Paul preaches publicly and Paul preached house to house privately. But verse 21 says really that Paul preached to everybody. Notice verse 21, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is really an evangelistic reality in the ministry of the Apostle Paul's life. The Jews gave Paul a hard time everywhere he went. That's why it even says in Verse 22, I'm on my way to Jerusalem and and not knowing what's going to happen to me except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city that there'll be bonds and afflictions. Why would Paul say that? Because in every city there were bonds and afflictions that awaited him. Everywhere Paul went, it seemed to be trouble that was stirred up simply from the preaching of the word. But Paul went anyway, and Paul, even though it was a hard time, even at Ephesus, Paul still ministered to the people. He ministered publicly, he ministered privately, and he ministered to everybody. The Gentiles weren't much better to Paul than the Jews were, frankly. Right? They were the ones who started the riot in Ephesus. They were the ones who were shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19, verse 28. But that didn't deter Paul. Why? Because the gospel was a universal gospel. I testified to both Jews and Greeks, to everybody. It was for everyone. It didn't matter if you were a Jew. It didn't matter if you were a Gentile. Everyone needed to hear about the saving power of Jesus Christ. And so he spoke of Jesus to everyone he came in contact. And his message was very direct. It was very pointed. Verse 21 simply says, he spoke to them of repentance toward God and faith. Repentance and faith. You repent, you turn back toward God, that's repentance. You turn away from your rebellion toward God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was Paul's message. It was a message of repentance and a message of faith. It wasn't some kind of fluffy, try-to-make-you-feel-good preaching. Paul preached about what people needed, not what they wanted. He preached about repentance from sin, faith in Jesus Christ. Turning from sin, that's what really repentance is. If we're going to repent, we need to see sin as sin. So Paul preached about sin. He talked about sin. He talked about being one in and under the judgment of God. And so sin had to be seen as sin if we were going to turn from sin to God. 
So Paul preached about sin. He preached about the character and nature of God. He preached about belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. He preached about an eternal and atoning sacrifice that was only in the Lord Jesus Christ. He preached about a need, a need for a Savior, justification and sanctification, the propitiation that we have in Jesus Christ. And so people needed to know they were lost. Why? Because you'll never turn from sin if you don't recognize you are a sinner. So they needed to see sin as God sees it. That's what Paul preached. Turning from sin and faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Faith, of course, we know is embracing Christ. He's the one who could pay the penalty for our sin. That's the whole point, isn't it? That's the whole point of preaching the Bible. That's the whole point of teaching the Bible. There is no other point. The whole point of teaching the Bible is faith in Jesus Christ. Follow after Jesus Christ. Whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, if you're in sin, the point is repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Repent and walk in obedience. That's, the, that's what the Bible teaches. Why the whole, that's why God keeps us here on this earth for a time after we're saved. We might go out and preach that very message to others, the message of salvation that we have in Christ alone. Somebody might say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Pastor. I might offend someone if I speak like that. The reality is we will. We will offend someone. I had someone write me an email just this last week who was offended, very offended at the words that I spoke at Dan Batting's funeral. They were offended that I would intimate in some way that this man who we don't know whether he ever had any kind of sense of belief in God at all, all we know of is a rejection, and yet they were offended that I would say he wasn't saved. Well, the only reason they were offended is because the gospel is offensive. Truth is offensive by its very nature. Helping someone understand their lost state before God is offensive. It offends their very being. It goes against the very things they are living for. But that's the only cure that they have. That's the only thing that will help. And if they cannot be offended by the truth, then hardly could they be saved from sin. You have to recognize they're guilty. That's how Paul preached. He pointed right to the heart of the problem. What's your problem? Your problem is you're an offense to God. You yourself are an offense to God because you're in sin. You reject God. And Paul gave him a way of escape, and the way of escape was faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul's testimonies, he preached preached publicly, he preached privately, he preached from house to house. And fourthly, he preached comprehensively. Comprehensively. Notice verse 27. He says, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Just really quickly. Paul preached everything that he understood concerning God and how the Christian should live. That's what that means. 
I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I preached everything that I understood concerning what God had taught me and how you as a follower of Jesus Christ should live, how you as someone in the church should walk. You ought to be imitators of God. This is how you as a leader in the church, Paul saying to the Ephesian elders, this is how you ought to be as a Christian. This is how someone gets saved. This is comprehensive. Paul said, I taught you everything. I gave you everything that I learned. Reading one commentator, he said it this way, Paul shared all possible truth with all possible people in all possible ways. I like that. That's comprehensive. What else does Paul's testimony tell us? Well, first, he served with humility. Secondly, he diligently preached. And third, it tells us his priorities were in the right place. His priorities were in the right place. Go back up to verse 24. He says, I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Why, Paul? In order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. What is that ministry, Paul, that you're finishing? What is that course you're running? Simply this, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. You know what that verse is telling us, beloved? That verse is simply telling us this. Ministry is not about us. doesn't matter at what level. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter at the beginning or at the end. Ministry is not about us. That's why Paul could say, I don't consider my life of any account. It's not dear to me. Whether I live or die, I, that's, that's neither here nor there. I, I don't even think about that. It's not even a consideration to me. I don't, I don't even take that into effect. That's why I can go to every city and I can speak exactly as I ought to speak. And, and there's trouble everywhere and I know it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me that in every city. It happens in every city. I haven't had one city in which it hasn't happened to me. But that's no big deal to me. I don't consider that any account to myself because I don't consider myself dear to me. I don't want to try to preserve me for some sense of secularism in order that I might just finish the course. I want to just finish the ministry. And the ministry that I have is simply this. I just want to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. That's it. That's all I want to do. Why? Because it's not about me, Paul says. It's not about me. My ministry is not about me. It's not about my accolades. It's not about my followers. It's not about how many likes I get on some kind of Twitter handle or some kind of other thing that goes on, some kind of Facebook page or some kind of YouTube channel in which there's put out there where the voice is out there. It really doesn't matter. I'm not interested in any of those kind of things. All I'm interested in is the grace of God that you see in me that testifies that God is the one who saves. That's all I'm interested in. I love that. Paul says, it's not about me. Ministry is not about me. My priorities are in the right place because ministry is not about me. Listen, God did not save us, beloved, so that we could just sit and be thankful that God saved us. It's true. We are. We are thankful that God saved us, eternally grateful that God saved us, but He didn't save us so we could sit around and just contemplate 
the wonder and majesty of being thankful. He saved us in order that we might finish our course. So many Christians are ineffective in ministry because they don't have the right priority. They're seeking a following. They're seeking to have some prominence. or seeking some place. or seeking to be somebody. Talking to guys down at the previous conference I was at with, with the other elders of the church, you know, just saying to them, it's, it's a sad thing to me because there's so much fakery going on in the evangelicalism. We all have these facades up as if we're, we're not who we really are behind the curtain. It's sad to me. I think it's interesting. I think you would agree that most of us value our own lives and the gain of status and success, sadly, more than we do the witness for Christ. We're more interested in what's going to happen to me rather than the glory and honor of Christ. We fear men much more than we do the disapproval of God. Talked about it just at the beginning of our time tonight. Do we really have a high view of God? Do we really have a high view of God? How much are you fearing men? You're fearing men to the extent that you will not speak to others about Jesus Christ, and I dare say you don't have a high view of God. So if our priorities are right, then our testimony reflects it. The last part of Paul's testimony is this, verse 33 to 35, Paul labored hard and without any greed. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes, verse 33. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs, to the men who were with me. And in everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You realize these are the last words these men will ever hear from Paul? These are the last words these men, at least that we have recorded from Luke, who was there, that they hear from the Apostle Paul. It is a simple principle. Paul is simply saying to these men, he's saying to all of us as we sit here tonight and we study this passage, here it is, don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. That's the point. Don't be lazy. We are in ministry as Christians, and it's a tragedy when we are lazy. You notice I didn't say it's a tragedy when we're not busy. I didn't say that. I said it's a tragedy when we're lazy. Why would I say it that way? Because we can be busy in ministry. We can be busy as Christians doing all kinds of things that we consider Christian activity and yet still be lazy in doing what we ought to be doing. Some Christians stay real busy. Why? Because they're fearful of talking with someone about Christ. 
If I stay busy in this and this and this and do things over here and do things over here, I never have to interact with anybody. Paul said, I did not burden anyone. I didn't burden anyone. I did what I needed to do to bring you the truth. I didn't covet your silver. I didn't use you. I didn't take from you those things which you could use for yourselves. You know my hands worked very hard in everything I showed you. And by working in that manner, you help the weak. And you remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're reflecting Christ when you do what God has asked you to do when you're not lazy. And I don't know about you, but when I read that and think about that, it shames me, really. It shames me. Why? Because I fail at that so much. I fail at being busy with all the stuff that maybe I, I don't need to be busy with. I pray that His grace would help each one of us who know Christ. Each one of us who are believers, that we have testimonies that would speak about our humility, that would speak about our constant speaking about Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. That we might have our priorities in such a line that they would be the very priorities that God would have for us and that we would not be lazy in that work. This is Paul's testimony to these men. I didn't consider myself anything. I spoke to you everything I needed to. I didn't covet what you had. I just wanted to finish the course and testify about the grace of God. Paul's saying, you know what? I'm telling you that not because I want you to look at me and highlight me and say, hey, oh, wow, Paul, you're such a great guy. Paul didn't want any of that. Paul was simply saying that to say, listen, as I follow Christ, you follow me. And really, I think that's our takeaway. That's our takeaway tonight, right? If this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul, then that ought to be the testimony of us. The next time we'll get into these final words of the Apostle Paul as he finishes off this to these men. We'll see what we can glean from our, from our own life. God's plan, my course, Paul says I finished my course. That's God's plan. I, I finished God's plan for me. I hope that's our desire too. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> Fast and Furious comes to my mind, not because of the silly movies that are out there, but because of how quickly time flies. <clears throat> Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can spend time in it, that we can learn from it, that we can glean these things for our own life. Thank you for the challenge that it is to me personally. Lord, I pray that we would take these things to heart. We would meditate on them, think about them, be challenged in our own lives as to how we orchestrate our lives. So that when we share our testimony, we can say exactly what Paul said. I've finished the course. I've done what you've asked me to do. I just want to testify to the grace of God. 
Father, we thank you for helping us in these things through the power of your Spirit. Thank you for each one of these individuals who comes and hears your word and desires to serve you and love you in that way. Lord, bless them in doing that. Give them great success, not for their glory, but for yours. May the gospel reach many and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.